Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to another episode of Chapel Hill Thrill. I am your host, Jacob Karabatsis. Special guest with me today, Inside Carolina legend, covering the Tar Heels on all levels, Tommy Ashley. How are you doing, Tommy? I'm well, man. And you're too kind. You know, legends only exist because they've been around forever. You know, and that's one thing. I will give you that. I've been around forever. No legend, but uh, just part of a part of a, a spoke in the wheel that is inside Carolina. And um, appreciate you having me. Appreciate you asking. Wouldn't miss it. Absolutely, man. You know, he, he's don't let him fool you guys. He's too humble. He's one of the one of the most experienced guys covering the Tar Heels out there. I mean, he knows the ins and outs of this program. That's exactly what we're going to get into. So, you know, coming off a of bye, first off. What does it feel like to go a week without Carolina football, man? It kind of sucks. Yeah, to be honest, um, when you cover it and when you talk about it all the time, like I've been fortunate enough to do with IC, um, I went fishing. (laughs) I went to the beach and went fishing because when you cover a team and when you follow a team as closely as we follow North Carolina – really don't pay attention to other schools when Carolina's not involved. And, uh, of course, I watched Duke, Notre Dame. I, I watched um, some of NC State, Louisville, and things like that. But uh, just because that's relevant. But I actually got on a boat this past weekend and, and went out and caught some fish. And I uh, had some fish for dinner and, and got away from it a little bit. So, um, bye week. there is no off-season is what we say at Inside Carolina. But bye weeks do give you an opportunity to sort of breathe a little bit. And especially right here with basketball season about to get underway is sooner than later. Yeah, um, that's kind of that was kind of my next question. Do you have a do you have a guilty pleasure team that when UNC is not playing, you you just you like to tune into? Like who, who's your guilty pleasure college football team? Hmm, that's an interesting question. Um, I'd be lying if I say I hadn't paid attention to Colorado a little more this year, and I can't I can't decide if I pay attention to Colorado to see them lose, um, or just for the Dion factor of hear what he's got to say. Um, but but usually I will watch if it's a big game like Duke Notre Dame was a pretty big ball game, uh, you know, and and so to watch that I would have gone to it if I was in town just to be in that to be there to see it, but. Week to week, it's whatever the big game is. And usually, if I'm honest, is like who the cool announcers are calling the game. Because I've, I think that sometimes announcers can ruin 
a television game listening to them, but I think some of the others can also make it pretty awesome. But no specific team week to week, unless it was Colorado this year, um, maybe Texas in years past, Oregon's fun to watch. What I do miss, and this is a function of getting old, I do miss like Pac-12 after dark and staying up late on a Saturday night watching you know, Washington State and Oregon State, those type games. Um, but yeah, the the older I get, the more I just sort of get away from it to uh, sort of recalibrate. But yeah, that, that's a great question. I have to think about that one. I have to get back to you on a on a good answer there uh, because there's been a lot of them over the years. Yeah, it's it kind of rotates for me. Like, was it two weeks ago? Two weeks ago or last week? No, it was two weeks ago. Whenever we had the absolutely loaded slate the 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 notre dame ohio state game was insane then you know last week duke and notre dame and that was a fun one for me as a tar heel because i wanted to see what duke was really made of and they're good i mean they they really are good i mean and then this week it's red river red river rivalry so that's going to be one of the bigger Red River games I've seen in a while. Um, but yeah, you know, we're here to talk about our Tar Heels, our four and O Tar Heels. It there's been a few a few bumps that that have not been great, specifically really only the App State game, but that was the only one where we really had to sweat. So after the first four games, we get the bye. Coming into a three-game home stretch, what is your what is your general takeaway, overall thoughts on this group so far? Uh, to put it simply, handle business. They've been able to handle business. So they they haven't done anything overly um, overly spectacular. Uh, the the impressive. Uh, display they put on against South Carolina and Charlotte in front of everybody, in front of game day and all the national media and all that was pretty impressive for North Carolina football. Uh, but they've handled business in games that they should win. And Minnesota game, Pitt game, those games weren't close. They they were close to start with, but then North Carolina just went workmanlike and handled it. South Carolina was the same way. You mentioned that app game. And that game's always going to be a flyer for me, right? It's it's one of those games, and I've mentioned this before, and it's no slight to App State or, or any of those teams like that, but that game is gigantic for that school, for that program, and they treat it as such. And they put all their eggs into that basket every year, and, and they produce in big-time football games. Of course, we remember them beating Michigan years ago. They beat Carolina in 19. Um you know, they, they probably should have beaten Carolina last year. And then this year, it was a similar type game. And, that you know, last year after that 63-61 game, I realized that it doesn't matter how good they're supposed to be, how good North Carolina is supposed to be or not be. It's going to be a ridiculous game. And then you look at what App was able to do after that game last year where they beat Texas A&M there, which is much bigger accomplishment than beating North Carolina, let's be honest. No matter how good or bad Texas A&M was, App doing that uh, to Texas A&M, for me watching, was a lot bigger than them coming to Keenan in 19 and beating Chapel and beating Carolina in Chapel Hill. 
But then look what they do the rest of the year. They tank, and they're not great this year. Um, so they pour all of it in there. So that App State game, you mentioned it as a bump. I, I think it's just one of those games where they had to get it done, and they did. Um, Mac talked about it being a tough four-game stretch, toughest four-game stretch in his career. Open a season? Nah, I don't know about that. But um, they did what they're supposed to do. They're 4-0 had a week off to rest, get some good solid work in, and get ready for a Syracuse team that's better than people think. Uh, I mean, Clemson beat them by, what, 17? But they turned it over three times. And uh, I think Clemson, despite being a two-loss team, is a really good football team still. And so they've got their hands cut, hands full this weekend and their work cut out for them and all those cliches. But um, you can't ask for more for North Carolina going into that game because they're exactly where everybody hoped they would be. Yeah, I mean that's. I, I'm with you on the on the Mac Brown statement. I don't think it's his toughest, but I am glad that they did play somewhat of a difficult non-con because I'm even looking at Georgia, for example. I mean Georgia looked awful in their first true SEC road test because they didn't really play a difficult non-conference schedule. And, you know, South Carolina played Georgia close. But it's great that they have handled Minnesota. They handled Pittsburgh because, you know, that's always been the the cardinal flaw of this, of this team is if they are a touchdown or more favorites – you could bet your bottom dollar they're going to find a way to make it a close game. And thankfully, that hasn't really been the case this year. Um, that being said, you know, I, I do think a lot of people are a little um, uneducated on this Syracuse group. They're four and one. I mean, it's not like we're, we're playing a, a one and four or a two and three team. Um, it should be a win, but. What are your um what are your keys, you know, coming into this game? What do you think UNC has to do in order to keep up with that mantra that you were talking about of handling business? Yeah, I mean, number one, and I think everybody will, this will be the talking point for everybody watching Syracuse is the quarterback they have. Garrett Schrader is a big guy. He can run. I think he's one of two active quarterbacks in power five that have 6,000 yards passing, 2,000 yards rushing. And the other one is uh, the LSU quarterback. So he's going to be a problem. And North Carolina has historically had issues with quarterbacks that could run. Um, he also can throw it. Just looking at his numbers, I mean, 63.5% for 1,150 yards on the season. <clears throat> he's going to make plays. Now, he will throw it to the other team. He had four interceptions on the year. Um, but he's a guy that if you don't be, if you're not disciplined in rushing him and disciplined in, in your drops and all those type things, then he's going to eat you up. And so for North Carolina, the key is him. They've got some big wide receivers. Uh, I think their main guy, they've got one out, but their main guy's six six. Well, North Carolina's got corners that have some decent size, but they're not six six. And so that's going to be a tough matchup as well. Um, I think this is a game where a guy like Cayman Rucker needs to be Cayman Rucker. You know, we always talk about on our shows, if you've listened, Drake may do Drake may things. Well, on Saturday, I think Cayman Rucker needs to do Cayman Rucker things, and that's get after the quarterback, um, create havoc, 
but also get him on the ground when you have the chance. Because if you miss sacks, there's two things when I watch football and somebody can prove me wrong, I doubt it because I see it every week. If you miss a sack, it's going to be a big game. And if you drop an interception, they're going to score a touchdown on that drive. And it happens over and over and over again. So I think for North Carolina, the key is get Garrett Schrader on the ground when they have to um, and communicate on the back end because he's going to scramble and make plays and, and don't give up on the play. Look at Duke and – we mentioned Duke and Notre Dame talking. Sam Hartman rushed or, or scrambled for 17 yards on 4th and 16. How does that happen? Knowing what we know about Sam Hartman in four years at Wake Forest, the bottom line is Duke just lost their mind on one play and it cost them the game. That's a similar situation I can see working up against Syracuse against Schrader. Yeah, it's – that's been kind of the the disappointing thing is they got the nine sacks in game one and they've done a decent job of creating pressure, but creating pressure and actually – getting the quarterback down are two different things. And that's what I want to see him get back to doing. I mean, obviously if you, if you've watched any South Carolina games outside of the first one, it's not a great, a great uh, litmus test because <laughs> their offensive line's terrible. <laughs> they give up like five sacks a game, but UNC has a absolutely beastly front seven, you know, I think they are a group that's capable of two sacks a game at least. And I do want to see that. And like you said, finish the plays. Yeah. Um, one thing I notice that I would love to get your thoughts on is what do you see with this front seven as talented are they as they are? Why does UNC still struggle so much? to stop the run, especially teams that have a really a really good scheme, pulls, and they commit. UNC just struggles to stop the run. Why is that? Well, I mean, I think there's several factors. Um, you, you add in the quarterback factor, and that's always a problem for everybody. Um, but as far as this year, Pitt and Minnesota – or teams that are built on the run. And um, what you like to do as a defense is you like to at least take one thing away. And, uh, you know, North Carolina knew that Minnesota quarterback probably wasn't going to beat them through the air, um, knew that uh, Jakovic could for Pittsburgh. Um, so they focused on completely taking that aspect of it and then working on stopping that run. And, and, and let's be honest, North Carolina struggles at it because sometimes the interior guys don't do their jobs. And I think they're better this year. Um, I don't think they're great. But, you know, when when you've got um, guys that haven't been perfect until this year or haven't gotten coached up or hadn't gotten their technique perfected, um, then you're going to have issues. And so I think that's a work in progress. I think what they have done is they've been better when they needed to be better. It, and all except App. And, and like I mentioned, App's a different was a different animal. But um, 
you know, I just think for North Carolina, you play these run-heavy teams, those numbers are going to be skewed. But if somebody's not, if somebody runs it for 190 yards and throws it for 100, then you take that every day, um, I think. So it's always going to be a work in progress. Guys like Miles Murphy, Travis Shaw, everybody talks about Travis Shaw, who I think has beast in him, can be um, a high-level NFL draft pick at some point. But you have to do it more than one play at a time in college. You know, if there's ten plays on a drive, yeah, you know, eight to ten plays on a drive, and you and you do your job once or twice, well, that doesn't even get you in the Hall of Fame in baseball, right? <laughs> you know, the Hall of Fame in baseball, you thirty percent or bat three hundred, you got a good chance. In college football, not so much, and so they've got to be consistent there, and they've got to make tackles when they when they have the opportunity to make tackles, but. All in all, you want teams to force teams to do what they're not good at, and North Carolina struggled in that regard because Pitt, Minnesota, South Carolina had what, 11 yards rushing, minus yards yeah. rushing, whichever stats you look at. So there's some there's some positives there. It's not where they want to be. Um, but I think this Syracuse test, and certainly Miami, will, be, will provide more of a litmus test on, on that for sure. Yeah, Miami's the one. Trying not to look ahead, obviously. Can't look ahead, man. Want to go one week at a time, but man, that game, just simply because, you know, obviously, say you beat Syracuse, if you get past the Miami game, then I think you reach what's probably the three easiest games of your schedule in terms of back-to-back-to-back, although... This team loves to find ways to uh, struggle against Georgia Tech. So I was going to say, we'll yeah, <laughs> trip down to Atlanta on Halloween weekend or Halloween time frame. Yeah, that's a. Uh, this team has notoriously struggled in that one. But this is to, to your point. Um, I think this is what separates this team a little bit is they don't seem to be the type that's looking forward. And, and you, you listen to Cedric Gray and you listen to. Geo Biggers earlier today, and those guys are focused on what they need to do right in front of them, and whether it's getting better in practice day to day, and then focusing on one game. Because too many times, to your point, too many times North Carolina's had opportunities in front of them, and they've let it get away because they weren't ready and weren't focused. I think you know Greg Barnes and I talked several weeks ago and said after Minnesota and Pittsburgh. We would find out exactly what this North Carolina team was on defense. Well, I think that we push that forward two more weeks. They include the Syracuse in that Miami game because you're right. Virginia, not any good. Campbell, um, bless them. Them coming to Chapel Hill is not ideal for them other than a paycheck. Georgia Tech and also, I, I think we'll know more. I think Syracuse is going to want to do be balanced and. Uh, We'll see. I mean, North Carolina has, has talked it. They've shown it thus far. That You play to win the game, and uh, North Carolina's 4-0 at the point, so with plenty to work on. Yeah, and I think that is the good thing. There's not too much pressure on the defense. They just need to be adequate because of how good the offense is and can be with Drake May at the helm. Um I do have to give a defensive shout-out, though, to Elijah Huzzy because he – I mean, where does he rank amongst 
transfer defensive players that Mac has brought in. He's he's got to be up there. Yeah, I mean, he is a. You know, I, I thought that he and Amari Gaynor would be the ones. It's funny they had Amari, Armani, and Elijah all come in this year, and and I thought that Gaynor would make a more of an impact. I mean, and Huzzy, of course, we knew he was going to be good. If you listen to Jason Staples on Inside Carolina, you know, he's been all over Huzzy since he walked on campus. But um, he's one of those guys that he does everything. And he's playing in a position now with DeAndre Boykins being hurt that he didn't play. And he played it some, but it's not his best position. And he's still one of the best two or three guys on the field anytime the defense walks out there. He's a difference maker. He makes you – have the ability to uh, shut down at least one other guy uh, on the other side of the field. And, and that's huge in college football because, you know, what happened when teams figured out how to cover Josh Downs, you know, for Drake last year? North Carolina struggled a little bit. Now, granted, um, they should have won the Georgia Tech game and Josh dropped the pass, but too many times in that game, other guys weren't able to step up in place of that. So I think Huzzy gives this defense that opportunity. And uh, he, he he's good. And a lot of people want to say, oh, it's East Tennessee State and it's a step up and all this. I asked him a long time ago, back in January, I think, and uh, he said, if you can ball, you can ball. And that kid can definitely ball. And he's shown it week in and week out. Yeah, I mean, to go pick – uh, punt return to I mean to have a game like that in college especially is is you don't even hardly see that at all in football in general and to see it at the college level is insane um you bring up a point that I like to bring up with the offense last year which you know Josh Downs was an amazing surehand target but they did get a little one-dimensional at times, and when he was covered, it felt like if they if they weren't hitting Antoine Green for sixty yards and a touchdown, the offense was stagnant. They bring in Chip Lindsey; it's like a completely different scheme. We're spreading the ball all over the place. I mean, sometimes it's JJ Jones, sometimes it's Kobe Paysauer, sometimes it's Nate McCollum, and Amarion Hampton is an absolute beast. So what do you see from an offensive standpoint this year that leads you to believe like, okay, it's the same in terms of they can score, but different in terms of the way they're doing it? Uh, it's balanced more. Uh, I mean, they, they have the ability to run the football when they need to. They haven't done it consistently. But if you look at the end of that Minnesota game, they ran it down Minnesota's throat in the fourth quarter. Pitt, not so much. Um, But I think a key point, and we talked about Josh, but I I think another key point with this offense is that it doesn't have to be the Drake May show every single week. And um, I don't don't really care how good somebody is or how well-rounded they are and all this because at some point you feel pressure. And players all the time, I don't really feel pressure. I feel excitement and things like that. But when you have the entire – game on your shoulders not just one Saturday but every Saturday like it felt like last year um, with Drake 
that that is that's tough on anybody. I know it would be tough on me if I had to carry the weight of Inside Carolina every week um, or, it, or it just didn't work. That would be ridiculous, right? So this year, and that's one thing Lindsay has done, is created a more balanced approach that says Drake can just do manage the game, do what he does. He's still really, really good, but he doesn't have to throw for 450 and 6 every night. You look at USC, for example. The way that defense plays for Southern Cal is if Caleb Williams doesn't go off, they're going to struggle against good teams. And that's a lot of pressure. And and he might put up Heisman-worthy numbers, but what are they going to get in the process? And and the same thing with even somebody I mentioned Colorado earlier, Shadur Sanders. I mean, he's not – He's good, but he's not good enough to beat good teams by himself. And that's what Lindsey has brought to this team is it's sort of taking the pressure off Drake. You mentioned Amarion. I mean, he's he's running the ball physically. Drake could have a couple more touchdowns if, if they wanted him to have them, but he doesn't have to have them. And not only is Drake good with that, but the bottom line is you're keeping other guys happy and engaged. And I think when you look at – the way the offense works, I mean, look at the stats on the year. Total offense for North Carolina, 464, right? 296 passing, what is it? 167 rushing. I'm surprised it's not a little more balanced than that, but that's still better than, you know, 400 and 100 and stuff like that. So I think Lindsey's approach has been to help Drake out, allow Drake to be a better quarterback without having to put up you know, video game numbers every week and it's helped North Carolina. Yeah, I agree because I mean you look you do look at a team like Southern Cal, they still have to play Notre Dame, Utah, Washington, and Oregon. The yep. way they play, I mean, they're gonna lose two of those games because Caleb Williams has so much pressure and that's how it was with Drake May last year. And I think a lot of Honestly, a lot of the, I guess, buzz and chirping you see about Drake May is either from haters or people who are almost having a little bit of a selfish mindset. Like, they care more about Drake getting the Heisman than UNC's success. And Drake and Mac both said it. And it's probably been my favorite quote of the year is they were they were asked and they said, we just, we're just trying to win football games. Mm-hmm. We just want to win football games. And – I, that's really the mindset you have to have. Um, there's been plenty of games. Like, the game he had to throw and win with his arm against Minnesota, he did with flying colors. There's yep. like over 400 yards. So, it's still there when he needs it to be there. He can still make the plays when he needs to. All that being said, what grade would you give Drake May through the first third of the season? So, if I were one of those people that I thought that numbers and touchdowns and yards were uh, the be-all, end-all for a quarterback, um, and, and you see where they had him ranked going in, you know, preseason quarterback rankings or whatever you want to call it, and where he is now, I'd probably say, oh, he's B-minus, you know, B-minus, maybe a C-plus. But I don't look at it that way because I look at it in regard of, how much better has he gotten being a game manager? And I love how people say, well, game manager is like a bad word for quarterbacks. No, it's not. <laughs> I mean, you know, if if I'm 
doing my job every week and we are winning football games, then I, I would hire that employee every week uh, to do that job. So when I look at Drake, could, could he be better? Could he make some throws? I mean, he's, he's completing sev- almost 73% of his passes. I mean, you and I go out there and throw to receivers with nobody on the field except us and receivers. We do 73%. I'm, I'm feeling myself. You know, right? I've done something. Oh, yeah. um, he's doing it being the focal point of every offense, uh, or excuse me, of every defense they've faced. So I would probably say an A minus, a really high B plus or an A minus for him simply because I know there's throws out there that he's missed. Um, where he's been fairly clean doing it, that he would want back. And uh, I would also probably dock him a little bit for taking too many shots. I mean, the shot he took against Minnesota early in that game, that, that's the shot you can't take as a quarterback in, in a, you know, that very important position. So he's gotten better keeping himself out of harm's way, but he still needs to work on that a lot. But I think he's a better quarterback this year than he was last year. And I think he's been given the keys of the offense or to the offense more um, than people realize with his ability to get up in the line and check into a run. Not just an RPO, whether you pull it or not, but to check into a different play. The long throw against South Carolina was a run. Called run, he checked out of that, hits Kobe, Kobe Pesor on the touchdown that broke that game open um, or really got Carolina rolling. So... Um, a minus, really high B plus, or an A minus, simply because I know that he'd probably say he'd probably give himself a B minus or a C, knowing how competitive he is. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty much in the same ballpark. I mean, he he's missed a few throws, obviously thrown a couple bad picks, um, but uh, all in all, I'm glad he doesn't get in harm's way as much as Sam Howell does. I'll say that Sam Howell was like Sam Howell played like Josh Allen in college. Every week I would watch the games and I'd be like, dude, he's going to have a torn shoulder. He's not going to be able to play next week because he's just getting absolutely beat down. Um, But yeah, I mean, I also think this is going to be better for Drake May's pro development because you simply can't go to the pros and do what he did last year and expect to win games. Like you're, You're just not. This is learning how to control the environment. And like we said, when he needs to do it, he's going to be able to do it. And there's going to be a few more games looking at this schedule where he's he's going to have to put up big numbers and he will put up big numbers. And I think that's what ultimately matters more than anything. Like, yeah, well, look, at, when, look at yeah. guys that play like it and, and it would – with the Pat Mahomes exception, look at guys that played in those type offenses where they throw for 5,000 yards, like 45 touchdowns, six or seven picks, you know, just ridiculous video game numbers. And then they get to, to your point, they get to the league and they're not any good. Uh, I mean, Drake is being more of a professional quarterback this year in college than he's was last year, clearly. And um, Sam Howell had that issue a little bit as well right where where he had to sit and look now he's done well in, in the league but you look at that game against Ball, uh, buffalo where he looked like he'd never played quarterback before um, and then he comes back against the eagles and he's really really good so it's a learning process i think i just think drake's that process has already begun for him for the next level and it's happening in college 
and he's winning football games, which is what he cares about. And so it's a win-win for him, I think, and for, for North Carolina as a, as a team. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you even look at it, it translates to the NFL too because, I mean, look at Kirk Cousins right now. He's on pace to put up like insane numbers. They're one and three. Like they're – it's just it's just the way of the road, man. You Sometimes you got to learn how to manage and you got to learn how to win – win football games and that's exactly what he's doing i love seeing it personally um so we talked about the schedule a little bit the miami the the game this week is not an easy one and then they have three very very tough games basically for the rest of the year you get miami and duke at home and then you got to go to death valley to play clemson so looking at all that, what is your genuine expectation for where this team ends their 12-game season? Um, will, they, will they have an ACC title game? Will they have a chance for the playoff spot? I mean, what do you think is going to happen? Well, I think you got to have the ACC title to get that chance for the playoffs. So, um, and you, and you got to get to that ACC championship game with one loss to be able to do that and then win it. Um, the way the ACC, no matter how well the ACC has played this year, the way the ACC is viewed, um, I don't think there's any shot for any ACC team to get to the playoff with two losses. I just don't see it happening. Um, you know, I think Florida State's probably um, going to have one of those two spots in the ACC championship game. When I look at the league as a whole – and I've mentioned this before, Louisville doesn't play anybody. You know, Louisville's going to get Duke without Riley Leonard, which is huge for them. And then they play Miami. Other than that, they don't get Carolina, Clemson, or Florida State. And they've already beaten NC State. I know, I know North Carolina fans don't like NC State, and I don't disagree. But that was a game that if you want to get an ACC championship game over Louisville, you needed North Carolina State to win last Friday. And they were just brutally bad. Try, <laughs> I mean, it was just pitiful to watch. Um, now they'll probably get their stuff together with new quarterback and all that. But I digress. Anyway, so you got Louisville the issue. Um, they can go eight zero in the conference. Florida State could go eight zero in the conference. North Carolina can go eight zero in the conference. Now the tiebreakers are ridiculous, but the key there is that North Carolina would have a win over Clemson if they went eight zero in the conference. That'll be viewed very well, and Florida State already has that because um, they beat Clemson in, in a game they, they had no business winning the way that game shook out. So there's that scenario where Carolina runs the table, goes perfect. I think they get in there. And then we're talking playoff possibilities. Oh, yeah. Um, but I picked them 10-2 and two the start of the year, uh, and I'm, I'm the one at Inside Carolina that's overly optimistic every year. Um I picked them 10 and 2, but one of those losses was Pitt. And we saw how that game shook out. So the Duke game will be interesting in Chapel Hill. If Riley Leonard is healthy, and I hope he is, because you know, I'd love to see Duke run the table into that game, and then Carolina runs the table, and you got Duke and Carolina football in the national spotlight. It would be awesome for, for Chapel Hill, for Durham, for the ACC, for both programs. Um, but assume they don't have Riley Leonard for some, so they'll probably drop some. Is he back for North Carolina? That makes a difference. Going to Death Valley, 
that's that's tough. You know, it, it is a tough ask to go down to Death Valley at that point. Here's here's and this is interesting, and, and I wouldn't have this conversation with any Clemson fans, but if Clemson happens to drop one more before they play that game, does Clemson just say, what the hell? You know, we, we can't make the ACC championship game. We can't make the playoff. What is left to play for? That is a, that's the thing. Everybody talks about how Miami's front runner. Uh, Clemson will not have been in that position for a decade or more. Yeah. So that's interesting to watch. And then we know the state game. Uh, I mean, North Carolina should have beaten state bad the last four years, and they only did it twice. And uh, and so you've got those scenarios. It's kind of like the App State deal for NC State. And uh, so, yeah, Mac talked about the opening four being the toughest stretch without question. Uh, the last three is brutal, especially if you got somebody like Riley Leonard healthy when that happens. Um, but you can't win the first one. You can't win them all unless you win the first ones. And Carolina's won the first four. And if they get past Campbell to go 9-0 and with those three, I mean, the possibilities would be wide open at that point. Yeah, I mean, if they're 9-0, and you have to assume going into those three, they're sitting top 10, I'd say. I mean, it's going to be – man, it's going to be interesting. Honestly – I'm I'm concerned about Duke if they're healthy. I'm concerned about Miami. Um, but I think that those games are pretty like I think they're winnable just because, you know, they're at UNC. I just it's not even the Clemson factor. It's just man, Death Valley on a Saturday night is brutal. Yep. And that's that's what I'm that's what I'm worried about. And I also still have PTSD from when we should have beat Clemson and went for two. And oh, I don't know. Three. I can't I, I I thought that, you know, of course being there and and I thought that was the right choice. Not sure about the play call there, but the bottom line is what makes this team a little different and it's a week to week schedule. We'll find out every week whether this holds true. But uh, we can wrap it up the way we started it, is they've handled business. And um, they've not ridden the roller coaster. And I think that's important for this team to continue to show that they're consistent. Um, Because you look at teams across the country, they come out and they play really well. And then they – there's only so many teams that can play bad and still win. And I don't think Carolina's one of those. Um I think Carolina could play decent and win, but bad and beat a good team. I don't know if that's possible. Georgia can do it. Um, Clemson can't do it anymore. We've seen that, and we know how good Clemson's been. So Carolina's got to be consistent across the board week in and week out. And, and, I, and I think focusing on that task, as easy as it sounds um, or as difficult as it sounds for the fan base, has got to be the way it is in the building because we've seen them. We've seen them under Mac 2.0. They peek ahead, and they get smacked in the face, and then they're back looking up at teams there. They should be up there with it. So we'll find out, but I, th- I think there's reason to believe. Uh, but, yeah, like you, I'm not completely sold yet on how they handle business um, against a team like Syracuse, against a team like Miami. 
well, no, the thing about it is, Jacob, is one way or another, so it's the way I used to take final exams in college. I'd be like, whatever happens at 12 o'clock, I'm over. I'm done. <laughs> and so we'll certainly find out, you know, at 7 o'clock on Saturday whether any of this stuff we're talking about holds water. Yeah, and it's going to be exciting. Um, almost as exciting as uh, people are going to find this episode. Um, really appreciate you coming on, Tommy. Uh, you can take some time to tell the people where they can find your work, um, where they can follow you. I promise you, you want to follow them if you like UNC sports. It's just a given. Um, let the people know. Yeah, man, you're too kind. Well, of course, it's InsideCarolina.com. It's the number one. Uh, fan site, college athletic site, independent university in the country. So join us there at InsideCarolina.com. All the podcasts and, and all that kind of stuff are on all the feeds, Apple Podcasts, Googles, you know, wherever you get your podcasts, audio versions, you can get it. And we're big on YouTube. Like we're doing this on YouTube. Uh, you know, Inside Carolina YouTube channel's got just a ton of content as well. And then if you like to read, um, like so many of us still do, the website, the articles, and all that. Just fascinating work. And it's not just me. I've been a part of Inside Carolina for a long time, and I appreciate your kind words. But it's it's the pieces of the puzzle that fit together to make it the preeminent place to find Carolina news. And there's always news. It never stops. It doesn't matter. Um, we talked about a bye week. It was just as hectic as it can ever be. And media day for basketball is Friday, October 6th. I mean, are yeah. you serious? It's time for Carolina basketball already. So check us out at Inside Carolina. You can follow me on Twitter if you want, at TAshleyIC. Um, depends on the mood, how much I do on there. Um, but anyway, it's been a pleasure, and I appreciate you asking, and uh, I enjoyed it. enjoyed it a lot. Absolutely. Also, you get points because I now know that you're a normal person. You still call it Twitter and don't refer to it as X. Oh, Absolutely. <laughs> Be honest, I didn't even think about it. (laughs) Um, But yeah, another episode in the books. Hopefully, we'll be coming back to you um, next week about a 5-0 UNC squad after a win against Syracuse. Keeping my head high. But until next time, everyone be safe. Enjoy some Tar Heel football this weekend. Enjoy some Tar Heel sports in general. Until we meet again. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.